Attention, all troops. He's alive. Alive. Welcome to the Rockerless. In October of 1988, I remember being home and wanting to set the mood for the Halloween season. I started leafing through our television guide and noticed that there was going to be a new show that week that was an anthology series based on monsters. I love anthology television and I like monsters and it was the perfect time of year for a show like this to premiere. So I checked it off on the TV guide and I was ready to watch it the night it premiered. It was not what I expected. There had been a lot of sort of grimmer horror showing up on television. And while this show, which was called Monsters, was not a happy show, it had a lighter tone than what I expected, and I really liked it. From that point on, I was a fan and started watching the show regularly. The weird thing about Monsters was that I couldn't get my friends to watch it. Despite it being things that we would normally watch, they watched the first couple of episodes and for some reason it just didn't appeal to them in the way it appealed to me. And I do think it has something to do with the tone of the show and the direction that horror was going at the time. Fortunately, I wasn't alone in my fandom for the show. It would get renewed and would run for multiple seasons. But watching that show became very solitary for me with very few people to discuss it with. And in the mid-90s, when it was sort of a long-lost memory, I would try to bring it up to people. And they would constantly say to me, Oh, you mean Tales from the Dark Side? Or you mean Freddy's Nightmares? or you mean Tales from the Crypt. Monsters, despite having been on for multiple seasons, was just quickly forgotten. So on today's show, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about Monsters. We'll talk about the people behind the camera, how it got made, why it got made. We'll talk a little bit about the music, the production, and we'll throw in a few surprises here and there. We have an info-packed episode ahead of us, so without further ado, let's start the show. Monsters is a syndicated horror anthology TV series. It ran from 1988 to 1991. While a lot of people might have missed it during its first run, it would get a bit of a revival when it ran on the Sci-Fi Channel in reruns throughout the 90s. Now here's a little article from one of my local papers about the show, and I'm just going to read it, about the season premiere. 
Monsters makes its TV debut. Just in time for Halloween, Monsters, an anthology series of eerie tales about unearthly creatures, invade TV screens tonight at 10 o'clock on Channel 11. This is the latest in a line of thrillers gracing syndicated stations. The War of the Worlds and Freddy's Nightmares have already begun in syndication, joining Tales from the Dark Side and Friday the 13th the series. In the debut show, in a desperate attempt to save his daughter from a fatal illness, a man turns to an ominous fever man played by David McCallum, Timothy Mason, and John C. Venema also star. So that's not a bad beginning. To give you a sort of overview of the show, I actually have the DVD box set to read from. This was released now almost a decade ago. It's a nice box, has all the seasons. They look pretty good, all on DVD. Red box, has some nice images on it. The complete remastered horror anthology series from Tales from the Dark Side executive producer Richard P. Rubenstein. From modern day fables of fear to stories that uncover the trembling terrors of times past, each episode of this acclaimed series harbors a terrible secret. Its very own gruesome monster to haunt your dreams in tales of mystery, suspense, and imagination. So not a lot of information about the show. You can kind of pull something out of it. It's anthology. It's horror. It features monsters. But you will recognize a name that gets mentioned here, Richard P. Rubenstein, who was not only the producer of this show, but Tales from the Dark Side, as well as a couple other things. I think I talked about Rubenstein in the Tales from the Dark Side episode that I did, but I'd like to talk to you a little bit about him again. He's a film and television producer, working mostly in horror and science fiction. A lot of his work was with director George A. Romero, including the zombie films Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead in 78 and 85, respectively. He would also produce the TV show Tales from the Dark Side, and then eventually would develop a relationship with horror novelist Stephen King and working on projects with him. He began his career as a production assistant, PA, on television commercials, a good way to start. He would get his first producer credit in the 1970s for the TV special A Night with Nicole Williamson. In the mid-70s, he would team up with George Romero to found Laurel Entertainment, which is a production company. Romero would stay there a couple of years, but eventually would move on. But the two would continue to work together. Laurel, though, did some interesting things, teaming up with other production companies on movies like Creepshow 2. Eventually, Rubenstein and Aaron Spelling, very famous Aaron Spelling, would merge their companies together. They would all fall under Spelling Entertainment, his being the bigger company. He produced a lot of big, big shows. This happened in 89, and Rubenstein would remain head of Laurel Entertainment. Laurel Entertainment, throughout its run, working with Romero, worked on movies like Dawn of the Dead, Martin, Creepshow, Knight Riders, and Day of the Dead. Interestingly, though, when Creepshow was a success, they decided to get into anthology television, and Rubenstein would executive produce the anthology series Tales from the Dark Side. It would be Tales from the Dark Side that would lead to monsters. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Another thing, because of Creepshow, was that Rubenstein got to collaborate with Stephen King. King had written the screenplay based on a bunch of his short stories, as well as some new plots. Rubenstein would then executive produce its sequel, Creepshow 2. This one would be based on King's stories, but written by Romero. Then, in Tales from the Dark Side and Monsters, they would have episodes that were based on short stories written by King. Then, as the 90s rolled around, they did Tales from the Dark Side, the movie, which included some work by King, and then the miniseries The Golden Years, which was written by King, created from an original concept, was co-produced by Rubenstein. If that wasn't enough, you might recognize some other works by King that Rubenstein had a hand in, Pet Cemetery, the miniseries The Stand, The Langoliers, Thinner, and The Night Flyer. 
These would all be co-produced with Mitchell Galen, who we'll talk about in a second. An interesting little fun fact about Rubenstein, he had the film and television rights to Dune, the Frank Herbert works, starting in 1996. And he would produce the 2000 miniseries and its 2003 follow-up, The Children of Dune. He was attempting to get a film version made with Paramount in 2008. That officially fell apart in 2011. Eventually, the rights would be acquired by Warner Brothers and Legendary Pictures, and then the new versions of the film would be made, with Rubenstein serving as executive producer on the films. So his name is still out there on some pretty big projects. As I mentioned, he worked with Mitchell Galen on a lot of his stuff, including all of the Stephen King stuff that I mentioned. Are you a fan of the Retros podcast? Do you like more retro stuff? Why not check out the Retros Patreon? Go to patreon.com slash retroist. Supporters of the show get bonus episodes, bonus tracks, bonus scans, access to the Retroist Discord, and more. Feel good about yourself and make a difference in the world. Support the Retroist. Tales from the Dark Side was pretty well received. And in interviews, Rubenstein said that he had gotten a little bit annoyed because while the show was getting good reviews, all the reviews tended to talk about how good the acting and stories were. But when you're doing an anthology series based on sci-fi or horror, a lot of the stuff that's in there is behind-the-scenes stuff, namely special effects and makeup. Since they had invested a lot of money in that, Rubenstein wanted to take advantage of all this talent he had brought together. And Laurel Entertainment made a reel of all of the great special effects that they had done on Tales from the Dark Side. And they took this to Tribune Entertainment, who were a collaborator on Tales from the Dark Side. And those two companies together decided they would create a new anthology series called Monsters. And it would lean heavily into the makeup effects. And if you watch both of these shows, the thing you're going to know right away is that while Tales from the Dark Side did have a lot of horror, it also would have many stories that were more science fiction and fantasy. Monsters would focus strictly on horror and very much focus on monsters. Production might have started earlier, but a Writers Guild strike was happening in 1988, which would delay production of the show by several months. So it wasn't until late summer of 1988, after the strike ended, that the show would go into production. They would hire a very famous person to do the makeup consulting, Dick Smith. Richard Emerson Smith, or Dick Smith, was born in 1922, passed away in 2014. He is often referred to as the godfather of makeup doing special effects makeup on many films, including award-winning films like The Godfather, Taxi Driver, The Exorcist, Scanners, and Amadeus. He would actually win an award for best makeup for his work on Amadeus, and then in 2012 received an honorary Academy Award for his career work. He would study pre-med at Yale University with an interest in getting into dentistry. Then he read a book that changed everything, a book about makeup techniques called Paint, Powder, and Makeup, The Art of Theater Makeup from the Amateur and Classroom Viewpoint. At that point, things changed, and he began to do makeup for Yale drama groups. He would be entirely self-taught, moving into television and then eventually into film. For a lot of young horror fans, his instructional book, Dick Smith's Do-It-Yourself Monster Makeup Handbook, was a very important piece of literature. Just seeing his name attached to a project was pretty much enough to get most people interested in whatever project was being produced, especially if you're a fan of makeup and special effects, especially monster makeup. 
what strange creatures are lurking in the night? Oh, skull face, mummy face too. Oh, boy face. What a frightful sight. Yes, Mom, this Halloween, your kids can have fun creating their own scary disguise with kooky spooks makeup. They just smear it on. When the makeup dries, it cracks to make them look really old and ghoulish. Add in the sheet and the costume's complete. Kooky spooks makeup kits. Six frightening disguises to choose from. <laughs> The show had a budget of about $200,000 per episode, which was pretty low compared to what was going on in network television. And according to one of the people who worked on the show, John Dodds, in an interview he did, he said that the executives took up most of the production costs and what was left was low enough that what was on screen was the result of some pretty heroic efforts of the people involved. He cites one of the series producers, Jan Saunders, having to bring furniture from her own house to dress the set with. Each episode would be filmed on 16mm film and was shot in about four or five days. And then this film was edited digitally, no cuts, and that was really new at the time. Production was split between New York and California. Because the show had such great special effects makeup people on it, I mean, you have Dick Smith as the special consultant, that would automatically make people interested in the show. But then you have this sort of DIY culture there that I think seems to excite and energize a lot of makeup people. I'm sure a lot of them would just like to have a nice budget, but a lot of these people come up in very low budget circumstances. And when you have one bit of talent there, it attracts other talent and then they grow on that. And some of the names that worked on the show, like Kevin Haney, Michael Burnett, Richard Alonzo, Greg Cannon, Alec Gillis, have a great set of credits to their name. Another consequence of the show being so low budget meant that they were constantly looking for value, looking for different people to come in and work on things. And that meant there was sort of a rotating door of who was going to show up and work on one thing from one week to the next. That must have been very confusing, but also probably pretty exciting and a great way to meet people in your industry. Because it's an anthology show, it had different directors, different actors in each episode. Just to give you an idea of who shows up, let me look at this DVD box again. There's a list of people who were on the show. People like Adrian Barbeau, Linda Blair, Tempest Bloodsoe, Laura Branigan, Steve Buscemi, Frankie Faison, Gina Gershon, Frank Gorshin, Pam Greer, Rich Hall, Deborah Harry, Meatloaf, Rob Morrow, Tom Noonan, Chris Noth, John Saxon, Tony Shalhoub, David Spade, Tori Spelling, and more and more and more. That doesn't even mention that they would have older actors or people in cameos like Kay Ballard or Imogene Coca, Will Wheaton, Jerry Stiller. Just a great list of actors coming in week after week combined with a very dedicated staff putting out makeup, good writing, made for a great show. Creepy, slithery, crawly, monsters. Tonight at 11 on Baltimore 54. Another element that really adds to the show is the music. And sadly, the music from the show hasn't been released in any format that anybody can really appreciate. So I keep hoping for an announcement from some niche distributor who managed to get their hands on the music from the show. I will buy that in a second because it's very moody, but it makes sense because it's put together by a pretty talented person, Donald Rubenstein. Donald Rubenstein is a composer, singer-songwriter, worked a lot like his brother, Richard Rubenstein, with George Romero. He was 24 when he was introduced to Romero through his brother. He would write the music for Martin, and that soundtrack is very well appreciated and sought after. He would then work on Night Riders, 
where he would meet actor Ed Harris, who he became friends with, which would have him contribute music to Ed Harris's directorial debut, Pollock, about the artist. On TV, you would have, surprise, heard his music on Tales from the Dark Side and the original music that starts it, as well as its film adaptation. Really talented musician, makes very moody music for this show. The show has a great intro. I'm just going to play it. It's so simple about a family of monsters who are going to start watching monsters. It's much better with the visuals to see all the makeup, but I think it's kind of cute. And you get to hear some of that great music by Donald Rubenstein. Honey, it's family hour. There must be something on. It's Monsters, our favorite show. It's starting. (laughs) The show was in syndication, so what channel it would be on might vary in your area if they decided to pick it up and run a syndicated show. It was originally released on October 22nd, 1988, and it ran through April 1st, 1991. As I mentioned earlier, it would rerun on the Sci-Fi channel in the 90s, which is where I think a lot of people discovered or rediscovered it, and the Sci-Fi channel did promote it quite a bit. Let's give that a listen. It's Monsters, our favorite show. It's on the Sci-Fi channel. Monsters, tonight at 7.30 p.m., 4.30 Pacific. Now, I just want to say, it was really great that this show premiered in October. Very rarely does it seem that a show that I would consider appropriate to a season seemed to get released during that season, especially horror things. I think, why didn't they hold this till October? Why didn't they wait until Halloween? Here we have a show that they did, and I was pretty excited for it. So I have a copy of my local paper at the time. I printed out here. And I can tell you what else was on that night. It's October 22nd, 1988, a Saturday. And if I'm not working, I'm probably at home watching TV. Now, this would be on Channel 11 in my area, which is WPIX. Pretty big station. Probably the biggest of the independent local stations in our area. But on CBS, which was Channel 2, at 8 o'clock you had Live, Dick Clark Presents. Then at 9 o'clock you had Simon and Simon. And then at 10, West 57th Street. Then on NBC, you had a really good night of comedy here. At 8 o'clock you had 227, followed by Amen, followed by The Golden Girls, followed by Empty Nest. Then at 10, you had Secrets Men Never Share. I don't know what that is, but sounds evocative. ABC was showing North and South at the time. Now, on Channel 9, WOR-TV, which was another big local station, from 8 to 10, they were showing Kolchak the Night Stalker. So I probably would have watched it at 8 o'clock if I didn't watch 227 and Amen. But I think I know what I was watching that night. Because Channel 11, 7 o'clock, you had Star Trek. 8 o'clock, you had the syndicated show War of the Worlds. 9 o'clock, you had Friday the 13th, the series. And then 10 o'clock was Monsters from 10 to 10.30. So that's a really good night of themed television starting all the way at 7. And since it was a Saturday night, I would not put it past me to have been watching that whole night of television. 
HBO that night was showing One Crazy Summer up until 8 o'clock, so I could have been watching that. And then 8 to 10 was The Believers. I didn't have Showtime at the time. They were showing Children of a Lesser God. But a pretty good night of television across the board. If it wasn't a premiere that night, I might have been tempted to try something else. But this show had my attention. And here's the description of the show in the listing. Monsters premiere. Desperation forces a concerned father to bring his gravely ill daughter to the fever man, David McCallum. A strange character with some bizarre requests. Pretty much just as I read it earlier, what the fever man was about. I flipped the page here. It's kind of amusing to see what movies were playing here in the area. Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers was playing. That's a good Halloween film, but you also had Alien Nation, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, The Accused, Gorillas in the Mist. In my town, we were showing most of these films, but Halloween 4 and Alien Nation playing back-to-back in the theater in my town. That's not bad. Humorously, when I flip the page, there's an ad for Met Supermarkets. And what captures my eye right here at the bottom of the page? Monster Cereal, $2.49 a box. That is wonderful. What a great themed three pages from a newspaper to find. You have the food I need to eat, you have a movie I might go see, and then you have great television at home, all wonderfully Halloween themed. So they would release this film on VHS. And here is a great commercial promoting the release of the show on home video. Those are just mice in your basement. Why won't the cat go down there? Monsters. No, scary fun for your home VCR. The VHS release was put out by World Vision Home Entertainment during the run of the show, and each tape had two episodes. They're pretty good-looking boxes. You should look at them. They're for sale on eBay. You can find them relatively affordable if you're into collecting VHS. I've been able to track down five tapes online so far, so that's ten episodes on VHS. Not bad. Luckily, E1 Entertainment would release the series on DVD in February of 2014. I guess they didn't make many of these because it's sort of rare and pricey online, but you can find people selling copies pretty cheaply if you're into that and can't find an affordable version on DVD. If physical media ain't your thing, much of the show gets published on YouTube, and the first season is currently streamable on services like Tubi and Roku, but that changes, so keep checking because I I find that shows like this appear and disappear right before my eyes. You might also want to consult the Internet Archive because from time to time, people will upload not just episodes, but the entire series there. So if you time it right, maybe you can watch it up there in all its glory. I'm not sure why Monsters wasn't a bigger hit. It's a really fun and interesting show that had talented people working in front of and behind the camera. And while it might have been done on the cheap, as people were saying, what you saw on the screen really didn't reflect that. Compared to other syndicated shows especially, it looked good. It had good production value. So my thought is maybe people just missed it. It was in syndication. Sometimes it was difficult for people to find shows like that or for them to get momentum. Lucky for us, though, the show has not completely disappeared. It is available for people to rediscover or discover for the first time. So if you are one of the people who was unlucky and didn't get to see the show the first time around, why not point your browser or pick up a copy of the DVD and enjoy this wonderful show? It's especially good in the season that the show was released, Halloween season. 
where anthology television and its sort of randomness really works well to add some mystery to this time of year. Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, you can drop by the website at retroist.com. If you want to follow me on social media, I'm at most of the major social media platforms at Retroist. The music you hear on the show is by Peachy. If you like what you hear, you should follow Peachy on Twitter and Twitch. He's at PeachyPixel8. That's the word Peachy, the word Pixel, and the number 8. If you'd like to support the show, you could really help by giving it a 5-star review wherever you download the show. Unfortunately, it's really just 5-star reviews that help shows nowadays, so if you have the time, I really would appreciate it. If you want to support the show further, The Retroist is on Patreon. You can find it at patreon.com slash retroist. Supporters of the show get bonus scans, bonus episodes, and access to The Retroist Discord, the coolest retro community online. Thanks everyone for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great weekend. Heloise tells us how rabbits can make delightful pets. This has been a retrospective production. Goodbye.